Hey guys, this is Suresh Sambandham, founder and CEO of Kissflow. I'm also one of the founders of SaaS Boomi. So, as you know, we already had the first season of SaaS Boomi, a super duper success. Now we are into the second season of SaaS Boomi podcast. In the second season, I dive deep into the stories of some of the most impactful startups. As a fellow entrepreneur myself, what I've done is I've attempted to bring perspective of a founder in my conversations with some of the India's biggest SaaS leaders. Truth to the spirit of SaaS Boomi's for founders and by founders motto, I hope the listeners go home with actionable takeaways in every single episode. So, without further ado, let's get started. Hello everyone, welcome to SaaS Boomi's podcast. Uh, this is season 2. and we have been talking to amazing founders in the saas space in the india saas space specifically speaking and uh, today we are going to speak to yet another uh, great uh, friend and a founder of loginext uh, it is durwil um, hello durwil welcome to the show hi suresh thanks for having me the first uh, thing is you know i want you to introduce your company they take 2 minutes 2 3 minutes and then this is the time where you get to actually pitch your company okay so loginex has is now is 7 years old now but the thesis behind loginex is to allow any allow and enable any brick and mortar retailer to start doing expedited home deliveries i mean we will all they are living in a world with quick commerce all around us where we are seeing 10 minutes to a uh, three day kind of deliveries across different category of goods but still majority of the world and world retailers and merchants are still offline and they are as they come online the biggest challenge that they face is to make sure that they deliver their goods or services on time to their customers loginex is the platform that does the end to end back end job for them as they deliver to the customers faster cheaper and better fantastic that's awesome man and uh, before i go deeper into uh, the company and what you guys do and how does it relate to the founders what founders uh, in the saas ecosystem can learn from you it will be good to also understand your own personal journey like tell us a little bit about where did you study what school did you go and stuff like that uh, that will be also useful sure um, so my background goes back till you know 2010 uh, so i've been in this in this in this particular industry for last 12 years now 2010 is with the first time I'm I was you know I was a fresh graduate out of engineering college from India you know had equal clue or was equally clueless like you know tons of other engineers um, you know around me and in India that you know that India produces every year and I had a small you know uh, I I had I, I was more tech savvy than anybody else from my peer group so I knew that I'm going to do something uh, which is fundamentally around programming or uh, you know playing with data creating applications working on infrastructure so i had some very vague thoughts around it uh, but of course was a very uh, you know very unpolished uh, phase of life i went to us at that time to study in carnegie mellon carnegie mellon is one of the uh, or the number one school for machine learning and ai across the world uh, i did you know work really hard did a lot of projects to kind of apply to that university finally got in um, right out of my undergrad college for my grad program in cmu went to pittsburgh that was my first experience in the us uh, just like everybody else i was very excited about the whole uh, whole us journey because i was seeing that country from a 
from a fresh lens and you know everybody the whole world has a different perspective about how us operates right uh, in terms of their education system about their how their companies run about how the financial markets run in the us uh, and, and things like that uh, when i went there i realized that uh, the only difference about the country is all about you know being very fundamentally savvy and then very clear versus trying to be very horizontal uh, and very vague around things right so clarity is something that occurred to me and that definitely occurred to me in my own area which was data analytics machine learning at you know at that time those were these were the buzz, one of the biggest words buzzwords back then they are still largely buzzwords to be honest but at that time they were very new in the market i was very excited to kind of do something new uh, from a tech perspective so I started learning that after graduation i joined um, deloitte uh, as a research consultant i uh, was helping enterprise customers in retail space uh, and there was not a vertical by choice it was just a vertical by coincidence that i, I was assigned to and i started working with more and more retailers and at that time from 2012 to 15 kind of an era all these retailers in the us were trying to you know focus on going live with e-commerce right because amazon i remember had hit their first profitable quarter so they were finally making positive news after a decade worth of stagnation uh in uh, you know in in the stock market very few people know in today's age you know that amazon was a was a very uh, you know not a great stock to own from 2001 to 2010 but everybody who owned it they 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 made a lot of money now but right? that era was a, was a very flat era for amazon but in 2012 is when again it started picking up where it's finally became profitable and they aggressively started expanding not just in us but outside us as well at the same time there were newer startups like uber eats grubhub doordash you know kind of companies were popping up in the us in the food delivery space cab space home professional home service in a professional services home services space and what not similar was the trend happening across the world right it was not just the us trend it was also you know in, in southeast asia we could see things you know companies like grab and gojek you know popping up in india ola and the somatos of the world were growing flipkarts of the world were growing in china was a similar trend with dd and alibaba and what not in in latin america was a similar trend europe had a similar trend with delivery um and and delivery hero and on all these companies so across the world this this whole last mile segment was changing where everything was ultimately being delivered to customers very quickly at that time unit economics was still under question because nobody knew how sustainable this whole space would be in terms of delivering anything and everything to customer as quickly as you can and all the retailers had like a very passive or negative or pessimistic view around it uh and my job as a deloitte you know uh, consultant was to help my customers think through a strategy on how they should also be doing it and what really makes sense for them to do it immediately and at that time there were two kind of you know key thoughts that all you know my customers used to have one is that they need uh you know a technology which can help them do commerce which is you know e-commerce uh, websites web card uh, payment processes checkout processes you know and category uh, catalog creations and all of it and second was all the fulfillment part which is the delivery part on how do they do the do the law you know first mile last mile uh, uh, how do they work with third party providers or they have their own fleet do they work with ups usps or not and things like that so that's the common theme that i was seeing on the former side on commerce creation there was a lot of newer tech companies you know saas companies were evolving on the logistics side there were very few saas companies literally there were none um, you know that were really sizable or big so that is something i saw as a market opportunity that rather than advising customers on strategy side if you can really give them what enables them to go live with this deliveries that can be a market opportunity 
uh, with that thesis, you know, I was 25 years old at that time, did not have a lot of understanding about market sizes and things like that. But I had a, you know, I, I had a good, um, you know, my, my, my own niche Rolodex of companies I could talk to. And I had seen also in US that all these enterprises also don't work very differently, right? They are behind the scenes, they're very manual, they're very unorganized. Uh, they are not tech enabled, you know, even if they're using a software, it is 25, 30 years old. So I, I, so there's some material there. At the same time, I also kind of traveled to China, India, and a few more countries to talk to other you know, customers or prospects I had to just bounce off this idea to them over a three to six month journey. Uh, it was a very fulfilling journey because I loved traveling and I, I still love traveling. And uh, also I could understand from cust- enterprise customers perspective on what they truly want. With that in 2015, uh, you know, I took the plunge, started Logenext, and uh, you know, started building this whole uh, platform which allows offline players to start doing deliveries. So that's my background. Absolutely, that was wonderful. In fact, I wanted to ask um, some questions, but then you didn't give me a chance. You were pretty much. <laughs> I answered all your questions before you yeah. could ask. <laughs> yeah. Podcast is done. Keep close. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no. Um, um, uh, actually, uh, one thing I noticed in your profile is that you have worked like three, four years and beautifully in three big, um, you know, consulting companies, AD Kearney, ENY and Deloitte. And how much of this was useful uh, in your startup journey? No, great question. Um, my AD Kearney and Anson Young stints were very short. I was 22 years old when I worked for these two companies. Um, Really did not have a clue in terms of what consulting really means. It consulting just used to carry a lot of glamorous value in my mind at that time. This is again almost ten to eleven years ago. So that's why I, I did those two stints, and then Deloitte was very valuable because that was the three-year stint that I did after these two, uh, because I could understand that this is what consulting really means, and and Deloitte could be a great value at uh, in my career, and I can add a lot of value to Deloitte as well. I think my key takeaway from you know from that experience, uh, Suresh, was. That a lot, you know, a lot of times what outsiders think what an enterprise needs is very different than what the enterprise truly needs. And somehow these consulting <laughs> firms are really good at it. Um, you know, I my first initial reaction to consultants was always, <laughs> yeah, go ahead. I somehow, somehow think like enterprise themselves don't know what they really need. <laughs> exactly. And, and that is where these guys are, some, they, they've somehow found that, you know, which they call stakeholder management, right? Like, very old world, 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 but consultant consulting firms do a very good job. All these McKinsey, Booz and Bain, and even Deloitte, you know, you know, BCG and you know, EY, all these guys, they have AT Kearney, they're very good at it. Where they from day one, they keep teaching you how to really talk to people from top to bottom in a third-party organization where they have zero interest to tell you anything, but you should be proactive or creative enough to go meet the right people at the right time, ask the right question, gather the right information, and then make sense out of that ambiguous pool of data that you would have gathered, and then take decisions based on that, which can add value to that organization. And then you pitch it to them. And when that, they, they, they see it in a very organized way in terms of what they truly want, even they create an aha moment and they give you their business. I think this was my biggest movement because I was never a sales guy or the tech guy. I knew how to develop applications. I know how to operate infrastructures and things. And that's exactly what used to give me kick. But then when I saw this part of the world, I realized that, wow, this is another endless opportunity where uh, most people in the world are actually not good at understanding 
these organizations and if i can actually start doing it i can create a very good uh, you know go to market value in my own startup as well and i think that give me confidence you know the biggest thing that most founders lack on their day one is that they don't know how much they can sell they don't know how to sell because most of them are usually from tech backgrounds these days uh, especially software company founders uh, and i think that go to market strategy selling marketing uh, understanding customer pain points right which is a very commonly used words and terms but most people are not good at it uh, and they spend like 2 3 years to learn it that was my advantage uh, and i think i i thank my consulting stints for that advantage but normally what happens you know like when you study carnegie mellon which is not like a stanford uh, per se right mm-hmm. uh, and then uh, and then you go into consulting firm that doesn't somehow land in an entrepreneur uh, track right so how did like uh, that is true uh, so most of the people who land there uh, isn't really go very fast high up in the uh, corporate career and become like you know in eny or md something like become like a partner and then eventually managing director or something like that's that's like the natural track you know how did the the bug bite you and 94% of the people that i know who are my classmates they are on that track and they are doing great on that track right uh, so this is true you know that is the that is a natural career progression that you look at and even for me it was the same like when i joined deloitte i had the same dream that i want to be a partner i want to be the youngest partner i want to be the fastest to partner you know i think there are multiple such flavors <laughs> in that company to you know get you the excitement so i had that excitement as well but at the same time i think another you know part that i i miss talking about is my personal background as well right which is so i come from a uh, from a business family you know my all my previous you know fathers and forefathers and my uncles and my cousins and my family that i've seen uh, i think more than 95% people are uh, they, they have owned a small mid size or large business they have scaled businesses over generations uh and they have managed different kinds of businesses starting from a manufacturing to services to trade um you know to to uh, to to products to what not um and i have always seen in in my childhood you know all these other you know uh, people around my relatives and my family always talking assuming that you know running a company and running a business is the only way to create a huge impact on the society on the economy or on yourself so that is something that was a silent thought always in my mind that eventually i have to own a business to really create value and impact and whatever kind of value i want to create for myself for my people around me or for the society or economy around me and i think that and i remember you know i used to you know see see my father talking to his b2b customers when i was a, i was a kid my i was seen also my father you know talking about payment terms uh, with uh, with his customers i have seen my father traveling for business a lot um, and i have seen him super passionate about whatever he is doing always i have seen him as a very hard working workaholic person and it, you know this used to these things always were in my memories and used to inspire me i was just too young to even think that i can own a business but when i saw this opportunity i realized that maybe this is the right you know right time to take the risk because market was good uh you know funds was not a problem i think personally i have been you know fortunate enough to take that you know have that financial freedom to take certain bets by investing some initial money uh and at the same time you know the, when i talked to my you know friends and family about this idea the very first natural reaction was that hell yes you know you should do it you must do it 
So come back to India. Let's start doing this. And they were in fact willing to invest into it. They were willing to advise me into things on how to you know hire your first person, how to register an entity, how to you know do the basic taxation work, how to travel for clients, what to tell them, um, you know what to wear. In fact, you know, those basic things. And I think that all this came together in one shot. And I don't remember if I ever planned that. Okay, let me now start a business. I think it just happened very naturally over a course of three to six months. But I was traveling to meet these you know customers to validate my idea. So it kept on building conviction, and my background kept on helping me uh, build more and more confidence on it. So that you know, one fine day, I just kind of you know put down my papers and 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 jumped onto this like ne- very next day. Uh, so I think the family background, financial freedom, and the encouragement that you see definitely helps. The family background escaped you from the consulting role. <laughs> that definitely, so that- I am very very thankful and fortunate because I think I've also heard stories to be honest in India and especially right when where. most of the times when founder startup i think i think usually your society or your social group around you ends up doubting you a lot versus uh, you know kind of supporting you i think that actually discourages a lot of entrepreneurs to even take the plunge let alone you know deciding whether they'll be successful or not that is a separate story but they don't even take the plunge because they just don't take that risk uh, and i think that that kind of you know uh, i was fortunate enough on on that track one one question i want uh, uh, that comes to my mind is uh, for logix there should be a trigger uh, right to for logix to be uh, founded what was that single trigger like although you, you said to me during the introduction what was happening around you that's a most of the time that's a larger broader observation but from that there'll always be some sort of a trigger like for example when i was starting uh, Uh, orange cave which is now kiss flow there was a larger trend around uh, you know rule based computing developing applications for business users the future is was there but then there was a actual trigger that happened to me was like we were building one big enterprise platform which got acquired by accenture uh, in my previous company and then there was some sort of a mess that was happening and i actually saw that opportunity they, hey this is the right time to go back and start right i'm just without going into details you know if that didn't happen i don't think i would have started like uh, something like that you know what what is like the trigger for logic i think the trigger was uh, so i don't have any personal experience to be honest i think i i've always been you know, more of a b2b guy right so when i was as i said right when i when i was seeing all these customers struggle with this strategy part right because everything is what what used to happen that you know as 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 these consulting firms we used to go and advise customers with a strategy it used to be a road map You know, tons of like CXOs and VPs would get involved. A lot of money would get spent. A lot of time would get spent, but nothing would really go to market at the end of the day. Nothing would really happen over a six-month, one-year, or even a two-year period of time. Uh, and that you you know that kind of creates a void inside the person who is recommending things because it just you you never see your ideas never see the um, you know see, uh, see see the light of execution right. They never get implemented. at least in the short time that you want them to implement get implemented in so no particular trigger to be honest i think it was a very natural um uh, you know expansion i also was very cautious to be honest i i i'm personally somehow i'm i'm a person who plan a lot i'm 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 somehow an overthinker i'm an over planner so even for this one you know while i was super young at that time uh, i did have like a small spreadsheet of business plan i had a document written with everything that i want to do at logix even my resignation note to my manager uh, you know who, who was the partner at that time uh, at deloitte 
that one paragraph I have mentioned, this is what I'm going to start and that's why I'm resigning. And that one paragraph still holds true. Uh, we have actually fortunately gone through very little pivots over our journey and over the idea as well. So I think it was, yeah, it was, it was a function of what I was seeing in my customer base. And, and of course, you know, since I traveled for three to six months, it was the end of my you know, tenure there. I could talk to a lot of real world people and real world customers to understand how they do things and whether what I'm building is meaningful or not. Once you have this kind of, an, you know, at least on paper data and conversations and user interviews, let's say, as we call it, I think that gives you sufficient confidence to say this is good. Let's jump in. So uh, two interrelated questions. One is when you started up, how did you fund or finance yourself in the early days? Uh, uh, that's a question. That's a first question, uh, and somewhat related to that is um, maybe first I'll ask that. I'll probably uh, ask the second question later. So, how did you like manage to uh, fund yourself at the early days when you just have an idea, and uh, you know you don't have credibility. You just oh, you don't have the startup. Like you're not like a serial entrepreneur, but you have at least. Yep. Unlike me, like I just didn't even have a college degree, right? Like uh, you at least were a CMU uh, guy, you went to the US and then you worked in Deloitte and, and some good uh, references were there. But then even that doesn't cut it to get a funding, right? So how do you, how do you manage to do the early, early stage funding to, uh, to fund your company? Right. The first check that, I mean, the first investment was invested by, by, uh, like by personal fund itself. So I had some savings from my job and uh, I invested that, that money was roughly a hundred thousand dollars kind of an amount that, that founders had put in together. And, uh, that money lasted for about 12 months. So we had how many founders. So we were three of us at that. When we started, we were three of us, me, Manisha and Varun. Mm-hmm. Uh, Varun, uh, you know, decided to not take the plunge acting, acting, I think after the first like two or three months, uh, at that time it was a very devastating moment for us because, you know, it was just three of us and it becomes two <laughs> and then you feel, you, you feel like, you know, doubting yourself and questioning whether even this, this is worth pursuing or not. But then me and Manisha, you know, kind of put in the money. Um, and, uh, and then we, we. We, we had a, like a 12 month runway. I remember, I still remember that we were calculating on that day that if, if the total runway of 12 months gets divided by two and not by three now, we have to put in more money from our own personal funds. Are we okay or not? And I yeah. think in just like one minute conversation, both of us just, you know, said, yes, let's do it. Um, again, I think that was and, uh, definitely. And this was, and this was in the US or in India? This was in the US. We started actually in the US. We registered in the US. And then realize that our roadmap, our, 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 our runway that we have, if we actually hire even the first person in US, it will pretty much entirely get used in just one person hiring. So that led us to move to India, actually. Our, our US to India move was a function of lack of capital, to be honest. Um, and then 100K mattered a lot for India. 100K had no meaning in US uh, and still has no meaning in US if you are starting up uh, from a team perspective. Exactly. And what did the 100K allow you to achieve? 100K allowed us to um, hire first four developers, I remember. Two were contractors where we had told them that, you know, we may not be able to sustain your salaries after six months also. So as long as you're okay with that, you know, we'll, we'll help you. They were our believers and they were like, you know, why not? We'll, we'll take the plunge with you as well. 
and other two were full time employees where where they had the employment agreement with our you know journey and what that was the biggest expense number two was our initial tech infrastructure expense right like you you set up the basic you know cloud and other softwares and uh, you want to do a quick stress test you want to have some you know sms and email gateways procured and things like that third was uh, our office space we had like a four member you know like a small uh, what 400 square feet office taken in mumbai um because we tried to work from home for a for a month but it was you know very it was feeling very unprofessional also so it was not bringing the seriousness in the team and also you know there's so much you could do at home right like with six people so um so we took that office as well and these were the three key expenses which took which had a 12 month runway we also were applying to multiple accelerator programs uh, incubation programs as well to see if we can get some grants from them because we knew that you know this 12 months will will will, will quickly uh, you know pass by and will not even realize so at the end of 6 month itself we real, we started applying to all these programs we got into this microsoft ventures and reliance led uh, gen next program uh, they were not giving any grants but they were also not taking any equity uh, but they were giving a small office space they were giving you know pilot opportunities with reliance uh they were also giving product mentorship by microsoft uh they were giving some free credits of azure at that time it was very early we, we didn't take it but but i remember that was also an offering so it was a good package to say okay and then they were also getting investor connects so we were like okay let's do that let's uh, let's at least get into the program so that took us about 3 months of program and then i remember at the end of the third month we had we were we started pitching to investors in very one first month itself we had we had pitched to almost like 10 investors including some of the vc funds some of the angel networks some of the corporates as well i remember we had pitched to mahindra and reliance which were one of our initial pilot customers at that time in india uh and uh, and and we got like i remember like in, in in the 11th month of this journey we had two term sheets um uh, which we liked we picked one out of those two which was indian angel network um and then the diligence started and we were like you know great we have the term sheet diligence started and we'll you know we'll have the money in the bank in 15 days so you know we were literally running in the last month otherwise we had to put in more of our personal capital in the last one we realized that we had a lot of compliance gaps in the company where you know basic uh, some tax registrations were missing uh, we hadn't filed for income tax in the first year we didn't even know about it how to file it we had no tax advisor or whatsoever we didn't go to audit at that time uh you know how the first year goes right so very very you know we are lay and lay and understanding about how finance works so we did that all clean up over a month or two ran out of runway put in another capital at that time i remember i had the meeting with one of our you know lead angels as well sanjay uh, asking him that you know if you can if you can help me somehow you know fund like additional one or two months because we already kind of you know put in 100k of our own money we can't keep on investing more and you know i and already is committed so you know why can't we do something more but he was like no you have to kind of fund it again yourself so we i think we had put in additional 15000 dollars to sustain another one or two months literally when the last dollar was in the bank and on that day the money hit from investors account to our account uh, we finished our remaining final closing conditions and and all of it and then started focusing on on execution again Oh oh awesome hey there is one common connection there um sanjay was also uh, sanjay mehta was also an investor in kissflow um which we bought out uh, sometime before but he we he was part of the iron round but he was not the lead investor but he was like part of the iron round which we raised from iron 
no, is a, is a great guy. Sanjay, I think our very first, I think Sanjay, I recognized Sanjay as somebody who believed in me when we had literally, you know, very small product, some couple of pilots running here and there, no revenue whatsoever, uh, this team of four people. And he just just literally believed in the vision in, in me. Uh, and he has been a great mentor ever since, a great friend also now, uh, where I can kind of open up about my personal stuff also with him very easily. And I think he's one of the best, you know, things that have happened to me in my career. Now, the, the one of the natural questions, so when you raised the 500k round from IAN, uh, what you had, you had just the technology or you had some customers and what was the revenue like? We had a technology which was, so out of this whole delivery process that we talk about, right? Like starting from scheduling to dispatch operations, routing, you don't do any, all of it. Any actual delivery, right? Yours is a pure software which manages the fleet, eat all the payments and everything. That's yeah. what you're doing. Right. Correct. Only software, yes. And yes. out of this entire workflow, at that time, we had the tracking piece of it. Because the first thing we, we wanted to crack is that let us get visibility into where the shipment is. That's where the story starts. Everything okay. else ha- can happen later on. So we had a tracking system at that time. Uh, it was a tracking module, basically. That's like, I think I remember three, four screens. Um, there was a reporting module. There was a tracking module. There's a you know, trip creation module. Uh, and basic settings like you can create a user and things like that. And you can sign up online. This is mm-hmm. all we had. Uh, we had a few signups uh, of small companies which were not paying us. Had you know Most of them would churn after looking at the product. Uh, and we had a couple of enterprise pilots running which were also free at that time. So, um, and all that traction also was roughly three to four months old when we received the investment. So zero revenue, very basic product and few pilots is what I would call it. Okay. Uh, that's um, that's amazing, man. Uh, <laughs> really, really wonderful that this happened to you. Uh, okay. And um, and then you had a follow-on round of funding, ten million in September itself, right? You know what? What from April to September, it's hardly one quarter. Yeah. <laughs> so that April actually was January. We just announced it late. That okay. was one. So that, and so that was roughly about nine months of, uh, you know, kind of a, a gap. And it was, it is still very short gap, right? Uh, because seed to series, it typically takes 18 months minimum in best case scenario, right? To yeah. do something meaningful with that yeah. seed fund that you received. Uh, right. So for us, at what happened after that seed round that we had raised, we actually went. So now this was all up to, until seed round. But the money, the moment the money hit the bank, we started finally doing the biggest thing that we wanted to always do, which was my expertise as well. And I loved doing this was to go to market more aggressively. We started, you know, immediately, you know, we added a couple of people in marketing. We added a couple of people in sales. We added a couple of people in lead generation, which was SDR kind of a function that we built. And we, uh, you know, started reaching out to events as well. So we did events, we did some SEO, SEM, we started, uh, you know, talking to a lot of channel partners because of our funding news. We got reached out by, you know, some of the guys like TCS and Tech Mahindra and whatnot. We were reached out by those folks. So I started talking to them as well. And we quickly could get traction. So from zero revenue, we were able to, you know, we were able to get to roughly half a million dollars of revenue. ARR again, this is not revenue, this is ARR in less than six months. And that speed was just mind boggling. 
at that time we had we also could acquire customers like flipkart paytm at that time we were acquiring not just enterprise we were acquiring anybody who, which would come our way because we were just revenue hungry so any quality of revenue any kind of revenue whether it's startup or small or mid or enterprise we would work with them as long as they're paying us and this was all paid revenue so looking at that traction we you know we started getting a lot of attention from from some of the vc funds some of the strategics at that time flipkart alibaba and paytm all three were our customers and all three and mahindra was our customers and and all reliance was one of the one of them all these folks were who were paying customers they started calling me to meet that hey you know what is this interesting thing that you, that, that you guys are doing at that time this logistics saas was super new in india uh and they all started reaching out to discuss can we do a strategic partnership i did not know what strategic partnership really means so i still went i i i used to go and i thought that probably these these guys are going to give me a larger business what they were hinting at it was not larger business but investment opportunities uh and i was not ready for investment at that time because we had money in the bank and we were doing fine and we were very really, very really excited to kind of build the future and what not we were not even actively raising at that time so because of these conversations we uh, and and this is something that i saw that the lesser i wanted the money the more everybody wanted to give me money and that's why my lesson number 1 in this whole you know financing world where you know when you're raising money nobody wants to give you but when you're not raising money and doing well everybody wants to give you money so that happened to us we literally had five offers for a series a investment ranging from 4 million to 10 million uh, at different valuations different terms from all these folks our seed round had a very simple sha very simple terms so i did not even know what series a you know entails and how to negotiate valuations and what not uh we also had one of these offers were also majority stake investment offer uh, so they wanted to acquire us as well and this was all happening very fast um i remember i had gone back to sanjay in september and i told him that sanjay this is like just very surprising to me and i don't know what how to react to it because i'm getting offers and i don't know if i should entertain them and tell them let's do a term sheet and then do a diligence and agreement and what not and sanjay advised that at that time and the market was like really doing really well he advised that if you are getting money at a good valuation take it because the more money will give you more power to multiply this number from half a million to multiple fold ahead and that is the decision that we took at that time we were we we raised at a pretty good valuation for a company at half a million revenue i think we we would have probably raised we would have raised money at this 2021 kind of a valuation in 2016 uh with with you know half a million arr which was not even did not even have a trend or a churn trend or an expansion trend around it but there was a lot of strategic fitment with this customer that was a, that was a 10 million funding from paytm right correct and that ultimately we went with paytm because they were giving us they were the most friend i think the biggest thing was that vijay was himself involved alibaba team was involved and they were the friendliest to work with all the other strategics that we evaluated all the other financial offers were we had a lot of them had tons of like you know crazy liquidation preferences um you know ipo terms in that series a round and i was, i didn't even know what an ipo term means you know how can somebody expect anyone to even commit to anything on i of ipo dividend terms uh you know more board members than founders so you know board being controlled by the investors tons of such stuff was there which which i did not understand much and i did not even like it much after i understood it so ultimately went with vijay uh, and paytm had, and alibaba had a lot of strategic goals with us because they they wanted to give us entire paytm mall and alibaba express business in india and southeast asia onto us and that was a very attractive position because ultimately it was a huge customer i was signing up by taking that money uh plus at a very premium valuation 
So it was kind of good um, for us as a company because we wanted fuel power to go up more aggressively. In hindsight, would I do that? You know, probably I would do it differently. But but at that time, it looked the best offer, and we took it, and we are still very happy with that we took it. What did what did the ten million allow you to do? Because I, I see that you stayed with the ten million for close to five years, right? Because the next funding is like in twenty twenty so time frame. So in we we basically went. So what happened? The immediate next thing we did is we started. We started feeling invincible. We thought that we are the kings and we can do anything that comes to our mind, and we can just you know we and we and this we can, we will have this five hundred percent year on year growth rate perpetually now, which was absolutely wrong. Uh, we started spending money heavily onto hiring people. We started spending money into acquiring companies. We also launched our delivery vertical where we started doing deliveries also by acquiring a company. And we get a swanky office, um, you know, in Pawai, probably the best offices in Pawai, in the same building where housing.com was and tiny all was, right? So very good friend with those folks, amazing folks, but probably made some bad calls along with them as well. And realized that, you know, that is not how, and then, and, and then we realized in the next one year, the funding cycle went down. A lot of our startup like customers in India, they churned. Uh, Alibaba also rolled back their plans to expand aggressively in India and in Southeast Asia. And a lot of other traditional customers we had were very price sensitive. So they, they started negotiating uh, with us in terms of our pricing. Uh, so we had heavy churn in terms of customers, in terms of employees. We, was, we had higher burn rate and we were doing all the wrong things that uh, a, a young founder does with a lot of money. Uh, so that happened and that gave a lot of lot, a lot of learning we lost like we i think used 30% of our funds just in one year itself and it was a shock it it we were like i was personally very worried and scared and concerned about what's the future who going to hold like i went to vijay and talked to him and he and he kind of first of all he, he gave me comfort not to worry and i was i, I was hoping that he's going to basically you know uh, <laughs> fire at me and going to be super pissed on what we have done in one year but he was very friendly, very supportive, shared his versions of his mistakes he has made, his stories. Sanjay was super helpful. We quickly reconciled and recalibrated around our, you know, around how we want to grow and what kind of company we want to build. So from beginning of 2017, we stopped all these, you know, we had a failed acquisition. We we let go of all those people. We downsized a little bit. Uh, we kept our marketing and sales spend in control. Uh, and we also started selling outside India. At that time, we realized that, you know, we, we need to come out of this whole startup selling, um, looking like a startup, uh, selling to another funded startup. You know, we have to come out of this whole, uh, you know, thing and we need to be more sustainable and more business focused. From that point onwards, the first goal I had was to hit profitability because I never wanted to see that in my life again where we have heavy burn and it doesn't let me sleep uh, and it cannot even be called a business. So we, our revenue had shrunk from that half a million ARR to maybe quarter million ARR by the end of 2016. So we had no growth, heavy burn. All that basically we had to, you know, we, we basically started from the scratch in 2017 beginning with a new market, uh, which was Southeast Asia and Middle East, which is focused on that. Uh, we also opened up our floodgates to all other global markets as well. So we were getting some leads from US, Europe, Latin America as well. And we had limited bandwidth because we wanted to make sure that we only hire seasoned sales folks who know their stuff. Uh, we started hiring people from SaaS background who knows how SaaS really works. Uh, there were very few, there are still very few people in, you know, good talent in, 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 in the market. So we, we attracted those folks, uh, started building more senior leadership team as well. Like we had a super junior team. We had like most of our people were 
one to three year experience folks we changed that and uh, and then I, I was like literally on the road meeting customers uh, we were very aggressively building our product features not getting deviated from that uh, not doing much of pr and just focus on our customer based marketing which is more organic uh, we were getting more referral based customers channel partner based customers and all of that and the 2017 and mid 18 was very humbling by the end of 2018 we hit our you know ebitda profitability we we finally reduced our burn down to zero uh, we increased our growth rate back to about 150% our revenue split changed from this, you know, India pilot startup revenue to real enterprise revenue, long-term contracts, high-paying revenue, good gross margins. You know, all that happened. I, I built a lot of mentors. You know, spent a lot of time. I think that's when I had also met you, Suresh. I right? did one of the, you know, uh, I Spirit events. I met Girish. I met Manav. I met, you know, Anish. I met Pallav. You know, all these amazing folks who have built great, you know, SaaS companies to understand what SaaS really means and what are the metrics for it what expansion means, what uh, revenue retention means, how to do it, what SMB versus enterprise, how they are different, how, why we can't do both together. All that learning came in 17, 18. Uh, and by the time 2018 ended, we were like, okay, this is a good uh, place to be in now. And now we can again go back into market and raise our next round because we have seasoned revenue. At that time, we were doing about uh, a couple of billion dollars kind of a revenue only. Uh, and But we had very, very, all the metrics were in place at that time and we had no need to even raise money because we we were a going concern for uh, for the first time in our journey uh, so very humbling experience those those two three years uh, and that truly made me from a founder to a ceo and i feel very very confident uh, i've started feeling very confident to run a large business or a scalable business after that. awesome man this is uh quite a lot of uh, experience right uh, so we we typically talk about the lo- roller coaster right you experienced one literally <laughs> i did yes it was a roller coaster at that time it was, and it was very in, in hindsight i would not want to experience that again to be honest <laughs> it <was> very uncomfortable <laughs> but it was uh, uh, full of learning experience for sure so w- w- how is your go to market looks like is it uh, is it account based marketing or is it target is it like some sort of uh, uh, event driven or inbound or uh, you know how do you how do you define your icp and how do you get the first uh, let's say 1 million arr like from so you talked about half a million arr shrinking down to quarter million then getting to that like 1 million arr in the correct icp is really the proof point, right? And then you're basically trying to scale it to multiple times. So the correct ICP getting to the 1 million, how did that happen? And what is the go-to-market model for that? Exactly. And, and, and so that was a very good learning. And for for us, our ICP, which got articula- articulated in, in that era, in that time frame, was that any company which has more than $50 million of transportation spend or delivery spend, across the world is our icp why because we we were ultim- earlier trying to create uh, trying to you know help customers with vanity metrics like you know we we can create strategic value for you we can bring visibility for you you know you can do tracking you can do routing and this and that right but those are product features right customers don't really understand that some startup customers would love it because they also want to create this amazing story uh, you know, with the internally for their customers, for their stakeholders or externally for their customers. But real enterprises, they are running their legit, you know, EBITDA, uh, you know, positive EBITDA business. They have their 
pressure on bottom line and top line growth and they have limited budgets. So how do you create the most value? So our value creation was directly linked with how much they are spending on their transportation or delivery. And majority of this spend is actually a spend on the ground, either on drivers or on trucks. Um, we have one of these two entities. So that's when we linked our, you know, linked our pitch to that we, we basically can cut down your cost by 10% during a pilot phase itself. And then we charge you roughly one third of that. That's how our pricing model also evolved around it. And our ICP also evolved around it. Within the, we have one more segment, one more like layer to the ICP, which is the industry. Like we used to cater to any industry earlier. We had customers in chemical industry, steel industry, uh, and whatnot. That also we have evolved to more time sensitive logistics. So we, while we are logistics SaaS, we prefer not to work with any logistics company or any company which has anything of transportation. But any company which has time sensitive transportation, which means a same day delivery, next day delivery, or a one hour, 30, 30 minute kind of a window, those sort of segments work. You know, they are like our ideal ICP for us. So that's what uh, we started focusing on. And those cohorts are growing. They started growing a lot. So we saw like crazy expansion. We used to sell what roughly 15, 20K ARR deals to each customer to start with. And those customers you know, went from 15K to 150K. Uh, one of, like McDonald's is one of the customers. They went for 24K to $1.5 million in two to three years. That, those kind of journeys we see now. And that is very fulfilling. And also it's a huge validation that the ICPs that we have, they, 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 the, the newer one that we arrived at 2017, were the right ones. Uh, where time sensitivity of logistics gives, gives the user a, a pressure not to do things manually and they have to rely on algorithms to take decisions in real time. Like around directions, around rescheduling, customer communication, there are tons of you know, back-end things that happen, will not bore you with logistics details, but, but all those things and all our you know, very beautiful tech intense features actually become useful. Um, and yeah. that's how we are at our ICB. And and how many? What will be like customers? How many customers you have now? We currently have one fifty customers, and uh, on an average, we do about like one fifty k kind of revenue from them. Sure. And how big is your team? We are two hundred people. Eighty percent of the team members are in India, and twenty percent are outside India. And we talked about this 200 customer, 150 customers, right? What is the acquisition model? Is it like outbound sales driven acquisition model or is there a marketing driven or do you have an events? What, what do you do actually? How do you reach out to those customers? Majority of our demand gen happens inbound. So our biggest channel that works for us, what works for us is um, SEO and social media. This is where we get most, about 70% of our leads come from these two channels. Then remaining 30%, which is also a very important chunk for us, is that happens via events and outbound reach outs. We still, like, I think our outbound, uh, like the cold email, cold calling kind of functions would get us 15% of our leads currently. And, and how, meaning in terms of a percentage of revenue, how much you spend it on, on marketing? We spend percentage of revenue right now, I think our marketing spend is uh, between 5 to 10% is on marketing uh, and and sales would be sales would be another 10 to 15 percent so total would come to 25 percent on on sales and marketing expenses that that's a very good uh, 
uh, payback period for the CAC, right? Yeah, our our CAC payback period is twelve months, which is you know we are very happy with that. Uh, we are very CAC lean actually, and that's why if you see like the, with, with lesser number of people, we've been able to manage a good revenue scale and good customer scale. I think because it generally, and I think pandemic has kind of played a role in it. Because when we did our Series B, our thought was that we will go aggressive in hiring in US and outside India. Because of pandemic, we could just never meet senior folks, and we were never comfortable having a lot of people remotely working from day one. We just didn't know how we will set the culture there and what will happen. And I could even even I couldn't travel, so I was stuck at home. So all that led us to, and even customers were never asking us to meet. But our sales momentum was still happening. So that's when the realization come came that even our India sales reps are able to do a very good job. But pre-pandemic, the whole thesis was that if India sales reps can can sell ten dollars, my US sales rep can sell thirty dollars. That was the assumption we had, which is what we had learned from the market, and all investors used to tell us the same thing to us. All other founders used to tell the same thing to us. But we realized that uh, if during pandemic with a, with a very lean US team. We could still have very good sales momentum, and while we were adding people in India team, and we, they were selling well, so I think that's why we have been able to keep it very CAC light. Most of our marketing and sales still happens from India only. While we do have uh, teams in US, Malaysia, and Dubai, still majority of the work happens from Mumbai office. Awesome! Hey, we just in the last five uh, five minutes, uh, but I have one last question, and then. Um, I'll go for what is called as a rapid fire round. We have like five, six questions for you, and then we'll close it up from there. Okay. The first question is: I was looking at your LinkedIn profile. You have a laundry list of investments. <laughs> like, yes, so I do. Okay, like, <laughs> how did you get into this? Like, those are only my good ones that I I named there. I have other like ten, fifteen also. I started investing very early on in twenty fifteen, sixteen. but then i was investing based on my just general thought and this is my family office also makes investment so this is not purely my money only this is a lot of my family money as well just as a you know disclosure um um and i, I and i write like large size checks also like for an angel right so i do i go up to 100k kind of checks as well but that's not my money the i started investing in 2015 uh, i used to do like one two investments a year because i had limited deal flow Uh, and nobody used to, you know, I, I was not a person to reach out to for investment. Like no, nobody knew what the will can add as a value. But over the years, um, slowly somehow the deal flow has been increasing. Primarily because of two reasons. One is because I think people have started recognizing me over the years as somebody who has, you know, built a successful SaaS business and taken to market across the world. So that's I think one of the biggest value founders look at. and second is i I've, i've been able to build a great network by mentoring a lot of founders and also having all these you know vc connects and investor connects i would have pitched to like more than 50 investors in india and us in my in my career and you know obviously 45 of them rejected me so 40 all those 45 became great friends and they sometimes sometimes invite me to do some diligence on some of the companies they are they long want to invest in in their early stages they want me to kind of opine on one hour founder call that i should do with the founder and things like that and if i like it and if they are investing i tell them why don't you give me some allocation i'll also invest with you so organically it grew in pandemic you know most of my sundays were open uh, usually either i'm traveling on sundays or out with friends on sundays but now there was nothing to do so i had more time so i was like okay let's start let's do this you know if deals are coming let me talk to more people and the more people you talk to the more deals you attract 
and you kind of it's kind of like a compounding effect that you see so so over the last 2 years i have made like more investments than i have in the in the previous few years and now literally like you know as of now i i i get like at least one deal every day uh good one uh across different channels via whatsapp some emails and you know you know wherever you know whatever connects are there and then i i have no right now i'm in a stage where i have just no time it's impossible for me to evaluate so many deals and kind of find the best one because it's not my full time job you know this was a side <laughs> activity i still do it as a side activity okay uh, and then i realized that uh, that you know there's no way to uh, keep up with this so i think i my my investment journey may slow down from now on what is what i'm thinking uh, because of bandwidth limitations okay we are jumping straight into the rapid fire round we have like 3 minute 2 minutes you need to keep your answers short man okay all right sir first one um uh, three saas founders you really look up to all right if it's india i think uh, definitely the you know first has to be girish i think uh, i have learned a lot from him uh, ritesh from browser stack never raised the primary money dollar in the company and scaled the company to a crazy level very impressed by his work and krish from chargebee because of his humility um super humble the best founder i know as a person yeah he is amazing guy i mean i don't know ritesh i know ritesh little bit but i don't know him that deep but i know the rest of the other two guys you talked about yeah uh second question um i heard i understood that you're so much into cars as well what's your favorite car my favorite car is uh, my current one which is my uh, beamer 7 series uh, bmw i think uh, bmw gives me a good power and road grip um so works very well on india roads as well out as well outside so i have one beamer in us and one in india both i i like it because of the grip that it has it, it this that that it, when you're driving it it gives you it, it makes you feel that power yeah then and then, since you are into investing uh, tell me about the three startups that you are more excited about don't detail just the names three startups that you are mean most excited about in the investment you have made ricker maven and uh, vested okay guys listeners you guys google up for it right so <laughs> that's all time we have and uh, um the next question in the rapid fire is what comes to your mind when we say work life balance what do you think about it very cliche answer i i i don't believe in it much as long as you know if if you truly like your work you will somehow manage to balance it and you know as some people call it you will be able to strike a harmony between work and life versus trying to balance these two things because i have seen who, everyone who tries to balance it they never get to a balance uh but if you look at it from a harmony perspective where both the things are equally important part of your life and you do enjoy both of them equally rather than trying to balance against each other uh i think that's the way to go so so yeah that's my view on work life balance super i have exactly i i use the word work life harmony rather than work life uh, balance because uh, you know we keep switching context uh between there's no hard line between work and life right so you have to do everything <laughs> and, and most people you know most people end up doing it when they when there's a work life balance they put these two things against each other versus yeah. together together exactly. that's the biggest problem that's when the problem starts and there's no that's- way then you can solve it after that exactly 100% agree last one man uh what is your short advice for upcoming saas entrepreneurs uh 
SaaS is a long journey. Do not get impatient in your early years. SaaS compounds beautifully well. So if you have started a SaaS company already, this is the best time to run a SaaS company. Um, you know, world is going to be more and more SaaS over next one or two decades. So go and grab the opportunity, be patient, work hard, let it compound and be successful. Fantastic. That is amazing advice. Thank you very much, Shuvil. I enjoyed thoroughly. I hope uh, you liked it too. And I'm damn sure my audience, or rather the SaaS booming audience is going to love it. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Suresh. Always uh, wonderful talking to you. Hi, folks. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Feel free to share your thoughts and feedback to hello at sasboomy.com. You can access this and all other episodes of SaaS Boomi's podcast at www.sasboomi.com. SaaS Boomi is spelled as S-A-A-S-B-O-O-M-I.com. SaaSboomi.com. There is no H there. Until next time, this is Suresh signing off from you. Bye-bye.